I've asked each of um, I've asked Craig and Greg to uh, to share two two highlights, two areas where they can apply some of the things that that Ed's spoken about, uh, and also one thing where they've got uh, yeah challenge a, a query, uh, further questions. Greg, I think probably the first thing is I've discovered I need to learn how to speak faster. <laughs> Just listening to that, <laughs> and I certainly need to think faster. Uh, I was thinking about as I was listening to it, a couple of the thoughts that I had um, were how behind we are on things like support systems. Uh, so I think in Australia we tend to be kind of a bit negative about support systems. One, because we're, we have a maverick culture. We actually really like that Anzac spirit that tells everyone else to, to get lost. And I think we have a suspicion of anything that's formal. So for us, if something is going to be real and it's, it's going to have a, a kind of integrity, then there can't be a system attached to it. Um, and we kind of have this sense of, of toughness you know, the, the, only, the, only the toughest will survive, that kind of Darwinian quality. But I think it, it ultimately means that we're not planting many churches because uh, we've set the bar so high by not having any of those systems that almost no one can do it unless they bash their way through the walls. Um, whereas as I was listening to Ed, I was thinking what this does is widen the net. Um, it doesn't lower the integrity necessarily, uh, but it does widen the net of the people who we're going to draw and train and it doesn't make the task Herculean to begin with. So that was, that was the first thing that I thought, wow, we really need to jump on board with giving people clear pathways and systems. Um, the second thing that I, I was reflecting on uh, was I wonder if in our training uh, and in our MTS training we get caught in a tension between providing people with experience in ministry and we want to give them, you know, we want them to do preaching and we want them to run growth, growth groups and we want them to lead youth group and stuff. But I wonder if that means we don't get them to start enough new things while they're doing their apprenticeships. Um, I wonder if we don't kind of throw them to the wolves enough uh, and say, look, this is something that may well fail uh, and in two years when you leave, we may well kill it, but let's start something new. And so as a result, I wonder if maybe we're producing guys who fit into systems and into existing things instead of guys who go out and want to start things because we're conditioning them just to fit into the systems that we've created. So they were two kind of thoughts that I had. A question that I'd throw out is, in a world of systems, um, are, there, are there any really unique qualities that a church planter really has to have? So compared to uh, the guy who's going to fit into a denomination, um, what would you look for for the guy who's going to go out and start something completely new? That's, I guess, a, a question that I've always had. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, Ed's been great to be here. It's hard to uh, think of what to say in response because my head's still spinning with all the stats, but all the um, other things you have to say has been, it's been good. It was great to have someone from the US come and not bring a, a list of things uh, about what Australians are doing wrong in Australia. Uh, we've got Al to do that for us, I guess. Uh, <laughs> we don't need someone to come from overseas and do that. Um, I'm almost as old and almost as cranky as Al, but not quite there. I uh, hope to be one day. Um, I was really challenged with what you had to say about it's the job of this generation of church planters and leaders to raise up the next generation and I think it's very easy in the midst of church planting to not do that. Um, I was a student in a church plant with a guy who really pushed me and he said what often church planters do is they hang around for two, three years, start a church and then they leave the party to go and do that again. And he said, you've got to hang around for longer. You've got to hang around for 10 years because otherwise you'll never learn from your mistakes. 
you'll leave them for someone else to clean up or you go and reproduce the same mistakes again. And I think one of the helpful things about taking on that bit of advice is it forces you to train up leaders because if you only stay short term and start things up and then move on, you'll you'll never have to... What you'll do is you'll, you'll see people converted, you'll do some basic discipleship with them and then you'll kind of hit the wall in a few years because you're doing everything else and that's a great time to leave. Whereas if you think you're there for the longer term, you know that from the ground up you need to train people and recruit people and that's how you'll see people come as converts through all the way to be leaders in your congregation and then, and then as people who can go out and church plant from there. So... It was really helpful to be reminded of that. I guess the other thing, just to be, um, as I thought about that, is it's a constant battle to keep doing that when you're actually pastoring churches and planning churches. You you get in the model of, of thinking, I need to spend most of my time with the leaders and the lost, and then you look at your diary a year later and you realise you're not doing that, uh, and you've got to keep doing that and keep weeding the garden uh, with your diary. So it's good to start out that way, but really important to keep working at that. So they were really two helpful things. My question, I think, was along the same line as Greg's in terms of um, what does it really take to be a church planner? I was interested to hear you talk about mavericks at the end. I think church planners do need to be innovative and different. But I think we have, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but a culture here where church planners need to be uh, pig-headed and aggressive and, and stubborn people maybe a bit like Greg and I, I don't know. But, um, uh, but when I look around at a lot of the guys who are church planning, uh, they're not always like that. Some of them are actually gentle and winsome and they, they're not D-types, to use an old sort of psychological profile at all. But I think we keep hearing and even keep telling each other that we need to be T-types. So I was interested in that kind of personality issue as well. You know, I, I, think, I think the... I think there is a type of personality that is more um, keen. As good as Australian right there. Uh, the uh, mate to plant churches. Uh, and, and so, so, you know, here, here's, here's what, we've, what we found. Now, we, we've only done this research on, we did a church planner candidate assessment research. And we actually, um, we, now, now I, can't, I can't say that this is true every culture and every place. But what we did is we, we have, uh, I, think, I think, 18 denominations now sponsored the research. And so what we did is we did psychological testing on hundreds of church planners, which, by the way, you don't want to read those psychological tests. Uh, and um, no individually identifiable, but whew, there's a lot of issues out there. Um, and, and so what we did is we look for certain wiring, if you will. And we did find that. We did find 22 characteristics um, that, that were found at a statistically significant different level between planners who are successful and unsuccessful planners and then regular pastors. And four of them we found that were predictive. In other words, they were so significant that the presence of those things were predictive of success in a church plan. So, I mean, we can show through some, uh, through some psychometric testing that there is a real difference between the two. Now, again, we have not uh, validated that test on Australian church planners. So, um, and so you have to make the assumption, how different are the contexts? And, and, and I don't think it would be appropriate for me to say how different the contexts are. Um, and, and so, but, but, I, but I would say this, is as we look around the world, that almost every mission agency around the world working in different settings and customs has said that, yes, there is a church planting type. And not everyone's a church planting type. 
And I think part of the type is you were sort of getting at um, a minute ago. Is it Craig? Craig, you were getting at a minute ago when you said, um, you know, I like to go start it and kind of go on to other things. Yeah. I, to me, that's actually indicative of a church planning personality type. I will tell you, for me, I, I planted my first church. I stayed five years. Second church, I stayed five years. Third church, I stayed five years. I started thinking, I don't think I like the sixth year. Uh, and, and, you know, and so, so there were certain things that I like to get st- I'm a starter. And so it takes a certain amount of discipline and, and, uh, to, for me to say, all right, I need to always be starting new things, but I need to also not undo the things I've already started. And so, but I would say that those personality types are there. So I would say that if I was looking for a church planner that met all the First Timothy 3 characteristics, you know, and the Titus characteristics, that had uh, perhaps was, um, was a drug dealer in the streets of Melbourne, not Sydney, because there no, there's no crime here, but in the streets of Melbourne, um, and it successfully created a network of distribution around every block, controlled every block, had systems in place to do that, um, and, and successfully owned the cocaine market in Melbourne, and then comes radically changed by the power of the gospel. I'm thinking that some of the wiring that that person has in place already that God might use for them to be a successful church planter here. That's probably the oddest example you've ever seen. So the key to church planting preparation is the distribution of illegal narcotics. Uh, but do you see what I'm saying? That there's a wiring that's there um, that, that is also a challenge. Because I, I think so a lot of times church planters are very driven, and the things that drive you can also become the demons that drag you down. Uh, and that's why we see a lot of church planters burn out and flame out along the way. So I do think that there is a wiring that's unique for vocational entrepreneurial church planning. I think if you're going to explore models of simple church, house church models, I think the fundamental theological principle there is that that ordinary godly people can do the ordinary task of planting ordinary churches. That's a theological different category. I'd put track one. I want entrepreneurial assessed church planters Track two, which I love. I'm going to talk some about that later. Track two, I want to give permission. I want to lower the bar on uh, here on organization and raise the bar in discipleship. Here, I want to raise the bar in discipleship and organization and assessment. I would never fund a church planner that didn't go through a robust church planning assessment process to be sure they had what it takes. Did I sort of answer yours as well? Okay, okay, okay. Are we taking questions from them? God. What are you saying? <laughs> Troublemaker. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so how do we, is that, can any of that be taught? Can we do any of that in training? If we want to be raising up church planters, do we just have to wait until that person comes into it, the drug dealer comes into our church? That's what you're open for. That's yeah, because you've got a whole church full of people who are just on the corner selling drugs. That's right, aren't actually but running not the network. the network, yeah. exactly. Um, or, you know, yeah. I, think, I think you can, um, my experience has been, you can develop some of it. Leadership can be learned, but there are some people who are naturally born entrepreneurial leaders. I, I, I would not put myself in that category, but I think I had some, I mean, I, you know, in secondary school, I'd started a couple of businesses as a kid. I love starting things. So it was like a natural thing to go and to start churches, um, you know, because that's all I wanted to do. I never considered anything but starting something new. That's how I was wired. Uh, but I think that if you have some entrepreneurial aptitude, that, that and I don't think that's enough. But if you had some entrepreneurial aptitude and with some mentoring and some training along the way, I think that, yes, you can, be, you can plant churches along the way. And, and you wanna, guys want to weigh in too? I, I wonder if, as a culture, uh, I remember someone once saying the difference between America uh, and England and Australia, and they lumped in England and Australia together, was uh, 
in America, if there's a problem, uh, someone will say, I can make a million dollars by solving that. In Australia and England, if there's a problem, someone will say, the government should fix that. Yes. Um, and I wonder if, uh, chatting with an Indian friend, he said, Australians are so conservative about being willing to take a risk and start things. We're, we're kind of, uh, we play it safe. We're not as entrepreneurial as perhaps we ought to be. Well, I, I, and I would say that that's, if, if, if that's the observation that Australians make, and I've heard it from others as well, that, that uh, and I don't have enough experience to know that it'd be true, but let's say it's true. Um, the Japanese have an expression. Um, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Um, and so when I, when I trained in Japan, they, they would ask me questions about this. And, and here's what one of the Japanese pastors said to me, because when, whenever they ask me questions, I say, well, what do you think? I'm not from Japan. Um, and here, here's what I thought was very helpful. They said that, that regard, this, I was like the materials that you just saw, we were training at the Japan Church Planning Institute, the largest gathering of church planners in Japan every year. And, and here's, here's what we said, is that entrepreneurial aptitude is required. It just looks different in a Japanese context than it looks in an American context. So I get, I am loud, I am, I, I'm a fast talker, I can sell cars. Uh, you know, used car salesmen are like the bottom of the sociocultural ranking. I would be a very good used car salesman. Um, I, I don't think that I, I think I would offend, I, I couldn't plant a church in Japan, and probably not in Australia, without a huge personality rethink to do that, but it works well in our, con in our context. What I would say is that here, maybe entrepreneurial aptitude and aggression is a little different but its presence is necessary for you to even have thought. How dare you think that you should go out and start something new when there's so many else that you could do otherwise? There has to be something there that calls you to do that. So I, th I think it's there. It just may be expressed differently in the culture. You're in charge. You tell him. Um, I've got a guy who is, he is the maverick. He is that guy. I hate people like that. Oh, it's, look. He's a fantastic guy, and he's he's he used to be in youth ministry. And look, he's very very keen. I think he's a natural evangelist and natural entrepreneur. But to get him to stop doing things for ten minutes so that he can how do you do that? I'm trying to figure out how to get him to sit still and analyze what he's doing so that he can stop some of the stuff that he's doing, which is you know halting his ability to do other things. And he's talking about going to Bible college as well, and on one on one side, you're saying, "Oh, look, let people loose, let them go do things." I'm thinking, he's already loose. Very loose. Um, yeah. uh, on the other side, I'm thinking, "Well, what about these character things? You know, there's what Ridlin. Do you do there? Ridlin's the key. You know, Ridlin, do you have Ridlin? <laughs> I, I don't think he could take enough of it. Really, yeah. cakes, <laughs> no. big cakes of Ridlin. Yeah. Uh, let me address that. I'll throw it to you guys after. Um, a church planter, unbridled, is a problem. Um, is, is, is I had something, someone in my life, Terry Robertson, I was like that at 21. And Terry Robertson said, come to New York, we'll plant this church. And Terry Robertson would get in my face, um, would say, we're going to do this, would direct me. If there's not a willingness to be mentored, then there's a huge issue. Uh, when I did my uh, PhD dissertation, I studied 602 church planners, tracked over a four-year period. And um, those that, and this is a strange, this is just a strange correlation. Those that met weekly with a mentor during that time pastored churches that were twice the size that those who didn't meet weekly with a mentor. Why? Because they listened. Listen, if, if he won't meet, I don't know this person, so if, if he's in the room, I just want to apologize. If that's you, I apologize, Ben. I, I don't want to know. He's not here. Let's talk about him. He's not here. 
Uh, the, um, but if it was Ben, and Ben would say to you, Ben would say to you, you know, I need, is it, is it Pete? Says, yeah, Pete, Pete I, I know I need this. I need, you're, you're an older brother in the Lord. You've got maturity and wisdom. I want to submit to your mentorship and your leadership along the way. So I want the passion, I want the enthusiasm, I want the maverick, but I want it under controlled and I want it submitted and I want it focused on the Lordship of Jesus Christ and really submitted to some mentoring from somebody who's further along in the walk with the Lord than he is. Yeah, it's absolutely right that yeah, what you want is the maverick who's teachable. Yeah. And we often think they're contradictions in terms, but they're not. Um, if you're recruiting from within for your leaders and your staff, then... You need to work on it early with them and as they're involved in small ways in ministry, let them fail. Let them make mistakes and see if they will reflect on and learn and realise they need to learn uh, about those issues. And if in the end in their maverickness uh, they keep going and darn it, they don't fail with things, then well, maybe you just need to let them go. But uh, let them fail and let them work out they need to be taught and they need to be mentored as part of the process. While I was passing over there, let me add, be a, be a friend to those kind of planters. You know, I have, um, my denom- I, I serve a very large denomination, largest in the States, um, and I have a lot of arrows in my back for standing up for church planters. Uh, but I will tell you that because of that, church planters trust me and, and, and we've been able to facilitate because I'll speak truth to them, but I also defend them from the... Because they do dumb things. I mean, most church planners, I mean, they're young. Young church planners are supposed to do dumb things. It's like the law. Uh, and, and, and so to defend them and to love them and to help them to fail, and in the midst of that, then they build the trust and you can speak into their lives more fully. Ed, I guess uh, my question is about uh, church uh, planters as founders over against... Um, uh, multiplying church planting, just going from one. Yeah. So over the years, I have seen very few of those church planters that have done the sort of thing that you have done, yeah. start a church and then start a church and then start a church. Most of the church planters I come across are um, those that plant a church and found it and may then foster other church planting from uh, that base but they aren't multiple church planters. I guess my question is, am I institutionalised and therefore not seeing what is happening elsewhere, or is there a paucity of such people, and how do I find and multiply those people if they're the sort of people I should be looking for? You know, I did a, I did a little bit of a training on this, so I'm just going to quickly talk about that. Everything to me boils down to a PowerPoint. It is my life, um, and... Um, and, and I talk about different approaches to, look at that, uh, the different approaches to, I turned off the projector, see, I, I wasn't very forward thinking. Um, but I, I think that, that um, Craig, I think you would said plant and stay for 10 years. Um, I think that's best. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't think that everyone's wired for that, but if I could get people to do that, they tend to make the largest, longest impact. So I, I think you're right. Uh, I actually think they're, they're, that I would put uh, kind of a series of categories of church planners. Um, I, I call I, I have names for them because that's what I do is I make up stuff. Uh, and, um, and and in just a second I'll show them to you. But they're really beautiful. I mean this right here. This look at that. Look at that guy right there. And, oh there it is. Okay. Um, and so for example, um, there's the, what I want to call the apostolic harvest church planter. 
where the planter uh, comes in, very colorful, right? Uh, the planter comes in, uh, plants a church, um, gets, gets the church in focus, because that's an important part of ministry. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you like how I fit that right in there? Uh, the, uh, comes in, plants a church, raises up a church, um, and then a new pastor maybe comes from the harvest and pastors that church, and he goes on to the other one. This is Paul, right? Paul the apostle. Paul always brought some team members. He considered it the responsibility of the church he planted to send team members to the next, plants a church, raises up a new leader from the harvest, goes on, appoints elders in every town, plants it, goes on. This, so this is a process. This person's a, like a serial church planter. Uh, uh, you know, others can do that from more of a distance, an apostolic mentoring church planter. Uh, there's a planter who plants a church, mentors a pastor who takes the place. Same thing here. And so continues to raise up churches and then brings in pastors, you know, maybe in partnership with a, with a school or a seminary. Um, this is more me. Um, I, I tended to plant a church, stay three to five years, and then want to go on to, uh, to new things. So I planted... Um, I planted New York, I planted Pennsylvania, I became a seminary professor, led some church through revitalization, I planted in Georgia, I planted in Tennessee, um, you know, again, in deep need of Ridland uh, along the way, um, you know, other things like planter teams, uh, but this is the one that, that you talked about is that, is that founding pastor. Now, with a founding pastor, I don't want the founding pastor to plant a church, right? I want a founding pastor to come plant, plant this church but then send out somebody else. So this is not this planner. This planner stays 10 plus years and then sends out others and sends out others and sends out others along the way so that ultimately from that church is church extension. The pastor is sending out strong core members to start other churches along the way. Now, the one question that, tell me your name, Dan asked, I think is real important. I do think there is a way and a means to plant a church without somebody who's wired to be a church planner. Was that your question? And I call that the planted pastor. And in this case, what it is is you got a you got a church with a with a plan to send a crowd of people and help build a core. And then what happens is is that church hives off enough people that a pastor with pastor gifts rather than planner gifts then then grow the church from there. This also now is like a campus pastor model can be this as well. It can provide new opportunities, a whole new area for and a whole new way for us to plant. So I apologize for the visual tool. You guys want to add anything? Go ahead. Sorry. I've got a question from it. There's no questions from you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, good. Uh, what do you think of that idea of keeping one church with multiple campuses as opposed to planting quite independent churches? Yeah. My, my preference is independent churches, but, um, but I'm not... Um, if, if a church does both, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. So I, you know, so, you know and, and we, we, we joked about, about, uh, about Mark. Um, you know, and so so when I, you know, when when, when last time I preached there, I, I, you go, you preach for two weeks. You preach, you never see more than a thousand people, um, which is I know is a lot of people, but but then the next week you're not there. You're in another town, and people are tweeting about your sermon because they're watching it somewhere else. And then the next week people are tweeting about your sermon. So glad to have Ed Stetzer at church today. Like I'm in Florida, people, uh, and <laughs> I don't want to tell them. Uh, and and so, but here's the thing: churches like that, and there's a there's Community Christian, and there's Seacoast, and there's a Redeemer, and others that have chosen to be multi-site, but have still been church planning. I, I will tell you, I'll just be blunt. I am suspicious of a church that will only plant campuses and not send out pastors. And because I think, um, and I told this to, there's a pastor in the States, Andy Stanley his, is his name. Um, and here's, I wrote an article about this. Andy's, Andy's a friend, um, which I know you hate to hear, but nonetheless, it is true. Uh, and um, and so, but here's, here's what I said, I said in this article and I got, I showed it to him beforehand because you can plant another campus with Andy Stanley and, uh, 
and project this graven image on another movie screen. Uh, and and what, what I would say is this. There, first, there are real missiological implications to projecting the, the graven image of rock star celebrity pastors on movie theaters across the world. But what I would say is this. I want to raise up leaders, and part of those leaders are teachers. And I think it's, I think it's good to have another site that listens to Andy Stanley. I think it's greater to have another Andy Stanley. And so I think church plants give us the opportunity for creating more Andy Stanleys along the way. So, so I'm pro that as long as it's not, we're not going to plant any churches, we're just going to plant campuses. And as long as they're raising up new leaders and not creating more cele- celebrity, and I, celebrity pastors is, is obviously not the issue here that it is where I, where I live as much. But what I would say is I, I'm more concerned with are they raising up leaders that are going to multiply themselves. So what I would say, two denominations in the States now see church planting and church campus planting as the same. The Assemblies of God, which would be the Christian Churches of Australia here, and the Evangelical Free Church now train them together. And I think there's a lot of commonality. And I will tell you, our church is going to plant churches and plant campuses. We're probably going to plant more churches than we do campuses. You can actually see, um, see, I guess, more planting happening with the planter staying in the, in the mother church, so to speak, and, and them sending out the planted pastor. Uh, yeah. You know, with, with the renter crowd possibly... You know, as in a whole population of the Rent mother a crowd. I love that. Uh, sends out stealing 50 people. that for my new book. <laughs> uh, it's from I got it from a guy from the UK. Okay, uh, sends out fifty people. Yeah, and uh, and and they're just their bodies to create you know create a um, you know capacity for people. Well, to absolutely. Here, here's here's the right right now. One of the things that's going on is that um, and this is not a secret, right? So, um, but. They're asking the question at a church in Minneapolis, John Piper's pastor. They're saying, oh, what do we do? John Piper's about to retire. John Piper's, this is just kind of one John Piper. Uh, and, you know, and they've got a bunch of campuses. And so what are they trying, what are they going to do? And so, uh, and a lot of churches, you know, Tim Keller, you know, they're, they're asking this question. Well, so what some of these churches are doing is, is they're saying, let's plant campuses with the idea that they very well might become freestanding congregations. So we're going to probably plant, a, our church plant will be a church plant. But the second one we're looking at is actually a town near us. And people ask, they said to me, is it going to be a campus or a church plant? And I say, I don't know yet. Because, and, and when you ask the guys, uh, Dave and John Ferguson, a community Christian in uh, uh, Naperville, Chicago, they, they, they say, we don't know yet because we don't know the leader. Whether it's a campus or a church plant depends on the leader. In other words, who are we sending out? And so I think that's a big part of it that it may transition and I think that if pastors will hold their campuses loosely as mission opportunities, not with control as I want to be in a bigger church, I think that's going to give us some opportunity for both. Can you also reflect, Craig and Greg, just on your pathways to planting? Because um, I know, Greg, you mentioned the importance of pathways and that not being uh, in Australia. How, you know, what, what were your pathways to planting at Blacktown and, uh, and, and Hunter Bible Church? Um. Yeah, look, I think uh, they didn't really exist that much. I think the one thing that was helpful was when I was a college student, I was placed with someone planning a church and I learned some things that were good to do and lots of things that weren't good to do, but it was a great learning experience. But apart from that, it really is, it's your own, it was your own entrepreneurialism that really saw that happen and there wasn't a lot of structures. What years was this when you first planted? Uh Blacktown was uh, early 1990s, but again, in Jermoyne, where we now are, 2001, yeah. Yeah, systems just didn't, uh, 
1994, a guy wrote, uh, Kevin Manoia, a free Methodist bishop, wrote a book called Church Planning, the Next Generation, which was about systems. So there wasn't a lot of that. And so it sort of took some time to do that. And here's what I would say. Uh, I think people are allowed to plan outside the system all they want to, but if they're going to be supportive, they need to be through the system. I can't stop, you know, some of you in your polity, if your presbytery can stop somebody, but I'm of the view that, man, this, this, is, this is how we do it. I'm not saying that it's in the Bible. I'm not saying it's required. But if you're going to be on this team, this is how this team works. I probably want to add as well with that that I was part of the problem, I think, because I think it's the whole thing of maverick and teachable uh, issues kind of thing as well. Of I, I didn't I didn't think I needed any support structures, and I thought they'd just get in the way and be people who didn't know half as much as I knew anyway. Yeah. It's coming straight out of college. So I was probably as much the problem as anything else. That's awesome. Um, I, God was the only one who had any plan with ours in that our, our church had been planted and failed and was considering closing down b- before I even reached Newcastle. Uh, and so it had grown to 100 and something and then it shrunk to high teens. Uh, and they were in the process of shutting the doors and I was 26 mm. and willing to have a crack at it. Mm. Um, and under God, things turned around. So there was never an, an intention to plant. Um, wow. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to draw any real lessons out of that, although it's been really interesting to reflect on should we have let it die and started another one? Um, was it a good thing to um, to try and jump in and rescue it? But, yeah. Um, just a question going from one end of the spectrum with... Where is he? Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> um, some of us here have inherited a church that's been... Um, 80 years old and there's been a slow, slow death getting down to the high teens 20s and uh, you come into this church and you're thinking about leadership development and you don't see any potential mm. most of them are over 60 um, if there's a few young people they've got issues um, and there's no sense of initiative coming from them no sense of you know leadership desire anything um yeah any tips i would say there's it's always easier to birth a baby than it is to raise the dead um but i want you to know i've written more books on church revitalization than i have on church planning um i took over a church where the median age was 68 years of age they had a guy named greg he was 40 they called him the youth group um it's true story it's true story Oxygen tank and walker at the end of every pew. Um, that's you. Yeah, and, that's, and, it's, and it's, not, it's not easy. Now, now the, the thing is, and I'm very passionate about church revitalization. I've written Comeback Churches, Transformational Church, series of books on this subject, led five or six churches through the process. Um, but it's such a long answer, and they kind of asked me to speak on church planning here. I'm not sure how to, how to answer. Um, tips is a, is a, is a, is a big thing. Um, you know, the, I think, I think the, the key thing you said is the leaders are gone. Um, there's a reason leaders are gone. Leaders are gone because leaders don't want to be at places that they don't see they can be fixed. Um, and so what you have to do is be that leader. You know, when you get on the airplane, um, I flew uh, Virgin uh, uh, Australia here, and they said, right as I was getting on the, uh, the beginning, said, you know, if we lose air pressure, put on your own oxygen mask first. Uh, well, there's a reason for that. If you don't, you pass out quickly and then you die. Uh, I would say put on your own oxygen mask first. You're in a crisis situation. Um, be the kind of leader that can lead people through this. Learn about church evangelization. 
Uh, read Second Resurrection by Bill Eason. Read my book, Comeback Churches. Read Transformational Church, Tom Rainer's book, Breakout Churches. Uh, I don't know the Australian books on the subject. I wish I did. I, again, I really hope, I want to provoke you to do research and analysis on how churches are experiencing revitalization in Australia, to learn from them and to tell each other about it. Uh, because there are going to be differences. There are going to be similarities, yes, but there are going to be differences as well. But I will tell you, it's hard. It's 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 difficult. It's more likely to fail than to succeed. And I don't say that because I want to discourage you, but I want you to be aware going into this situation. But it can succeed. You know, we when we finished Transformational Church and went through the process, we saw churches that did experience genuine transformation and revitalization. Um, but it's a leadership issue. In Comeback Churches, the number one study factor we found was the, church, the pastor had developed leadership, had developed skills and ways of leadership. So become an expert on revitalization. Uh, build from there. You're going to need uh, one or two key leaders to come alongside. They're not going to probably come from the people that are left. The leaders have left. And so you have to bring in people from the outside who have the relational skills to not be seen as taking over, but can be partners with you in leading that church through that. Just short answer. I know it's a huge, it's a huge, huge issue. I teach, teach week-long classes on the subject. Um, our church was in exactly that situation. There, there were a lot of pretty depressed, uh, unhappy uh, exhausted people. Um, I think over the course of time, one of the things that we'd noticed is that they'd lost their faith that the gospel is something that grows. Mm, um, they'd stopped expecting people to become Christians and that it stopped expecting that Christians can repent and change. Um, and so recapturing that idea that that uh, God is sovereign, his plan is for the gospel to grow and we preach confidently um, from the word go, I think was one of those... I don't think I did it deliberately. I think I just had it modelled for me. But as we look back in retrospect, everyone said, yeah, that was the difference, wasn't it? Mm. We suddenly regained our confidence in the gospel that Jesus is growing a kingdom. Awesome. Yep, of the 15, I'd say there's probably 20 people who are at our church when I take over. I'd say 15 of them have left. Yeah. I I think one of the things, there's a distinction between revitalizing a church that has uh, lost the gospel and revitalizing a church that has lost the means to propagate the gospel. Um, it, it is different if you're going to lead a church to have to believe, um, and which, is, which is the you might take over a church that has largely abandoned its, its foundational beliefs. Um, that, that's five more steps that you have to take before you can get to this. When you take over a church that's, people are like, oh, I just wish we could reach people for Christ like we used to, that's a different process along the way. If it's the former uh, Bill Eason has a very helpful book. I mentioned it. It's called Second Resurrection. Bill Eason writes for, uh, in, in my nation, called, we call them mainline Protestants. And he has a whole chapter on you you, you you can't revitalize the church unless you realize that Jesus is the only way and the only answer. And uh, to people that I write and speak to, I don't have to remind them of that generally, but I do sometimes anyway, because that's who the evangelicals would do this. But if it's a non-evangelical environment, I think there's even a harder transition along the way. Oh, Okay. Yeah, and I think you can lead through that, but that's a that's a that's a commitment that you have to make long term to love them through that process, and and to show them a better way, um, show them a better way. Uh, Doctor Stetzer. Yes, I, thank you, I, thank you. Finally, a little I, respect. Well, so it, it was hard. I am it was. It was. <laughs> I'm just trying to come to you. Thank you, sir. Um, uh, you you met you said at one point we plant the gospel that results in a church. Um, so my questions around that and sustainability of, uh, you know, starting a new plant, uh, in uh, my question or, or is just to understand 
uh, often in when we talk about church planting, uh, although we are talking about seeking to plant the gospel that results in the church, often we're seeking to create something that means we can be sustainable in a period of time, which means maybe instead of spending the time planting the gospel in the community, we're trying to launch a service quickly, maybe so that if people come, maybe from other churches, it means we become more sustainable quick, quickly. And uh, as you mentioned, I think compared to uh, North America, uh, Sydney, Australia is, is much harder ground. Yeah. <laughs> so getting maybe people from other churches means we can be sustainable quicker. But my question's around that, seeking to plant the gospel so that a church comes about. Uh, should we have that focus or do we need to go, we're planting a church because we need other people could you speak to what I'm trying to Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't dichotomize them, though, as you have. Yeah. Um, I, I would say this. Um, from a missiological perspective for centuries, one of the goals has been to become a three-self church. Self-propagating, self-governing, uh, self, self, self-propagating, self-governing, self-reproducing. Um, I think, therefore, getting to self-sufficiency is an important missiological goal. Um, and so I'm good with that. Now, here's part of the challenge is a lot of people who want to, and I want them to, plant the gospel without necessarily thinking in terms of congregationalized. They want to evangelize, but not necessarily congregationalize. They want somebody to pay them to do that. And so, in a sense, what they're doing is they're saying, listen, I don't want to create self-supporting structures of congregational life that can support the ministry that I'm doing. So I would just like basically to, um, to be this missionary representative of Christ in this community and other people resource it. Well, I'm, I'm very much for it. I'm very much for, uh, I don't know what, the, these these like words from the day from Apple. Uh, the, I, I'm very much for the approach that what we would do is to plant the gospel. But I think you have to make the determination if you're going to take funding for this, then part of that stewardship has to be at what point will that funding be done and you'll be a self-sufficient congregation. So I think if you take money out of the equation, it changes the whole question. And so if people want to say, well, I just, I just want to be an incarnational, missional witness showing and sharing the love of Christ relationally in this neighborhood without any expectation and pressure to plant a church, I say, praise God, go get a job. Um, if they say, I want to plant a church in that way, I say, then you need a plan to self-sufficiency and you need a, you need a timetable to get to that self-sufficiency. So what changes it is the, is the financial question along the way. I prefer the former. I prefer the former. And that's why I planted and you know, got, a, got a job.